We're going to start with a nice word on Parshas Chayasura. The Torah tells a story of uh, Eliezer David Avroam looking for Shidduch for Yitzchak, and he's repeating what Avroam told him. So Rashi explains, Eli is Lushan Eli. Eliezer David Avroam had a daughter, and he would have wanted that Avroam be Meshadach with him, be Mechitin with Avroam Avini. But Avroam Avini said, Omele Avroam, Bani Burech, Va'ata Urer. Right, Avram told him, I am Burach and you're Urer. Right? I'm blessed and you're cursed, Avid. Uh, uh, and I'm Urer, we're not a good match, we're not a good Shidduch. So let's do a word for the Burach Mezbuzha. And Burach Mezbuzha said that the delusion should have been, I'm Burach, but I'm Urer, I'm Burach, if I'm Burach and you're Urer, then the reason why we can't be Mishadach is because the Burach doesn't want the Urer, right? We're not a match. But to say, Ein Urer Medavik Baburach, it sounds almost like the Urer is turning down the Burach. And he explains that very often that's how it is. Even when the Burach is ready to lower his standards or be more accommodating and accepting, and you know what? Urer, let's make a shitfus. The Urer doesn't accept it. Ein Urer Medavik Baburach. Even when the Burach wants, the Urer sees, no, you're not good enough for me. Even somebody who has that deficiency, somebody who has something wrong with them, somebody, somebody who has something very clearly uh, uh, uneven over here, Urer and Burer, it's the Ein Urer Medabek Baburech, even when he has the choice. And this is an important lesson because sometimes we don't even realize how often um, we see other people's faults and not our own, and then we see it as, oh, you're not good for me, without realizing that really maybe I'm the, in this case or in this situation, the Urer, Ein Urer Medabek Baburech. Who's turning down who? And I think that, you know, we all have it. We're all Burech, we all have a lot of qualities and malice and wonderful parts to ourselves. And we're all Urer, and we all have parts of ourselves that are less than um, desired and, and, and things that need to be worked on and fixed and, and you know, taken care of. And so often when we look at a relationship that we're in, we'll notice the good parts of ourselves and the challenging parts of someone else and, and be unaccepting of somebody or unhappy with somebody without realizing that maybe we're falling into the same trap of being an Urer Medabek Beburech and like I said, being that everyone has the Burach and everyone has the Urer, if we can come to the, you know, to a place of Shunirik Lech and Malas Chavarani Vilech and the contrary, only ourselves, you know, to notice what we have to fix, but not someone else, and, and see the good in other people and appreciate other people, instead of constantly focusing and noticing and, and being so aware and so uh, observant of, of other people's faults and shortcomings, and that's something that will always enhance every relationship. So with that, let me, let me read a question. Um... Try to give some perspective. Okay, hi Rabbi Gruen. I'm a passionate listener of your shiurim at any time, and I feel that each, and I feel that they each impact me tremendously, especially since I enjoy picking out the parts that apply to my marriage and relationships. I also feel like your general approach is that we are all human beings, that each require our space and validation, and you end up veering the questioner to a place of understanding and to the derech hayosher in life. Thank you. Your English class this past week, okay, it's quite a while ago. However, is the first class I feel very different about. Yes, my husband is that kvetchy type and personality, while well, I try to be upbeat and positive with life's situations. I did think at the beginning of our relationship that I must solve his problems, which obviously is not possible, and not what my husband was looking for, even though he claims that he does want me to solve his problems, but I noticed that he wasn't taking any advice I was offering, and I don't consider myself bossy, and it would anyway be extremely impractical for me to even try. I did learn to sympathize and nod my head. However, I must say, although I continue doing so, it's so detrimental to our relationship and family dynamics eating away at the Simcha atmosphere we all wish for and work so hard to achieve. You are most certainly right about it being therapeutic and a spouse being available for one another. However, I would have loved to hear that a lot of 
caution needs to be taken and no, not everything that bothers one must be repeated with all the ill feelings involved. How about working out the middas some of the time? How about kvetching in a jokey way most of the time? I know you always mention that nobody enjoys being around kvetchy people. I wish I could scream those words. But I feel that this class sort of gave permission to kvetch without taking much responsibility and consideration for the damage and negativity it is causing unintentionally. All the best and looking forward to hear more good advice in all areas of relationships. P.S. To add, I did think about what the root cause would be for my husband's constant negativity and it probably can be resolved, but not in a day, not in a month, and here comes the big end, only when he's ready to acknowledge it and do something about it. Okay, very clear. <clears throat> so let me, let me start by, with, just with the compliment that you mentioned over here. I've said this in the past, but I don't know why every time I, I just pick up on it again. Um, right? Each class impacts me tremendously, and everything's wonderful. And this past week, there was one class I felt very different about. So let me just start with that. I have no issue, but Emma's, I, I don't say this. I mean it when I say it. I just give ideas in my classes. I give ideas, I give perspective. If somebody likes it, great. If somebody doesn't, that's fine too. You, you don't have to you know, you tell me that most of the time you do like what I say, sometimes you don't like what I say. It's fine. A lot of people don't like anything I have to say, for that matter. Um, they, they usually don't listen to me at all. My, my point is just that, two things. If you like what somebody usually says, and you feel that they have a certain perspective that resonates and it's true and it's helpful, then it's worth considering that even if the times you don't like what that person said, it could be they're right. I'm not saying because it's me. I'm saying because very often people nitpick and they, they only like hearing what they like and what they like and they're not really hearing anything other than as long as you say what I like to hear, I'm listening. They don't realize that they're basically just listening to themselves. That's first of all. Second of all, if the things... I'm, again, the example is myself, but I don't mean myself. But if the things that I say that you don't like are the ones that are somewhat challenging to you and your situation, um, you know, then obviously it could just be some subjectivity. You don't like that I just said something that would demand of you or... Or, or make you do something you don't like. If you don't like something I say about something that's irrelevant to you, then yeah, we could have a difference of opinion, and that's fine, and I mean it. You know, it could be your opinion is just as, as good as mine or, or better. But if the thing that I said that you don't like is something that, that's challenging to you or demands of you or requires of you wh- whatever kind of tolerance or work on yourself, then yeah, well, no, I don't think any of us like hearing, I don't need to like hearing something that demands of me. So that's first of all. Another thing that I that I want to mention over here, because you, you, you mentioned yourself that, you know, on the one hand, I'm giving validation to somebody who's quetching to a spouse and saying that a spouse should be listening and, and, and being there to hear and it's therapeutic and everything else. And then you also mentioned that I do talk often about nobody wants to be around quetching people, right? So it's not, it's not that I leave that out and you're telling me that I should be mentioning it and, and something I don't say. You know, the old joke about the rabbi who, you know, they came to him, the roof of Shulam Bayes and, and the husband complains about his wife, says, you know, you're right. And then the wife comes and says, uh, and then, uh, you know, she complains, her side of the story says, you're right. And the Rebetzin comes in and says, how could that be? I heard you tell him he's right, and she, she's right, and you're also right. You know, but the point of the joke, the way I understand the joke, and I'm used to doing this in my Chalama classes, you know, explaining jokes and, and, and learning the psychology in the joke, is that, is that she's also right. You're right that I told him and her they're right, and you're all right. Everyone can be right. It's not a contradiction. So often people get stuck on the... On the who's right and who's wrong, aside from the fact that it's not helpful, it doesn't help anyone, the fact that somebody's right and wrong, the person who's wrong doesn't say, oh, I'm wrong, and start doing everything right all of, all of a sudden. And the person who's right usually doesn't have that much from hearing that they're right. But it's more than that. In most situations, not because it takes two to tango, and not because there's always two to blame, and it always takes two to fight, 
and, and, and two people must have caused the problem. That's not what it is. So often, the way situations work in life, when it's two people involved, there's different advice that each person has to hear. When, when a teenager and, a, and parents aren't getting along, for example, this is a typical example, the teenager has to hear, you know, you have parents, you have to be more considerate, more compliant, and you can't just do what you want, it's not respectful. And the parents have to hear, it's a teenager, and you have to be more tolerant, you have to be more understanding, and, and you have to work along. So the person on the side will say, hey, I don't, I don't get that. Who's right? Is, is the parents right? And the teenager should be listening more? Or the teenager's right, and she's already a big girl, and how come the parents are trying to control her? What's the answer? You're also right. They're both right. You picked up on it. They're both right. When two kids are fighting in school, regardless of who started the fight, do you tell them both the same thing? Do you tell them both, well, because you started and you only reacted, that's why you're right and you're wrong, and now you know, here's the prize for you and the punishment for you. It doesn't work like that. You shouldn't have started. You shouldn't have reacted. But, but you said he shouldn't have started, so why shouldn't I react? That's because that, that's, how, that's how it works with, with two people. They could definitely both be having um, you know, different advice to both of them. So just in this case, the fact that one person should know that quetching is not appreciated, is something we should try to refrain from, and the other person should know that when somebody quetches, you should try to listen and be empathetic. I don't see any contradiction in that. That's first of all. Another idea in general is that when it comes to relationships, something we talk about all the time, there's, there's right and there's successful. You could be right, and the be right, and the other person could be wrong and really be wrong, and, and you still want to do the right thing and, and, and do whatever you could do, especially when it doesn't help to tell, to tell someone that they're wrong. So just, you know, it's, it's, it's very often to just remember that we're here to do what's right, we're here to do what's right from us, we're here to do the right thing to do and not be right. And usually that's what makes people successful. And lastly, just in this regard, the, the struggle between emotions and logic is an internal struggle we all deal with. We all have our own set of emotions and our own set of logic. Most often, logic is more correct, by definition. It's logic, it makes sense, it's, it's Oizgal, it's, it's Emes. Emotions are very often just playing on us and, and fooling us and whatever it is. We see how hard it is in ourselves to, be, to have our logic dictate what we do and not, and, and not get overtaken by how we feel. Moich Shalot Alalev is not an easy thing at all. When you have two people, and one person is behaving emotionally, the other person logically, even if the person who's behaving logically is more right, by definition, and the person who's behaving more emotionally is probably more wrong, most often the person who's behaving and seeing things, experiencing things with a logical perspective is the one that you could demand more of. Telling the other person, but you're so wrong, and you're just feeling that way, and you have a messed up set of emotions that are fooling you, is probably not just not going to work. So if we see in our own set of logic and emotions how hard it is you know, to control those emotions and dictate to them how they should be feeling right now, instead you do what makes sense um, logically. You know, it's, it's very hard to do that. When it comes to, to relationships, people getting stuck on who's right and wrong are usually trying to pick up on, but I'm right. And the answer is, you probably are right. And there's still something that you should do differently, even though you're right. So that was just all an introduction. So let me, let me, let me just go back and, and clarify what you asked me to clarify. And, and I'll say it again. And this is something I, I wrote in the essay last week. For those of you who read my essays, and whoever wants it could sign up at partial lessons at Rabbi Gruen. Uh, at lahari.org, sorry. Parsha Lessons, P-A-R-S-H-A-L-E-S-S-O-N-S. At lahari, L-E-H-A-I-R.org. Send out a, a, a weekly essay. And just last week, the essay was about understanding how your mood and your happiness and your smile and your demeanor and your behavior affects everyone around you. It's not a question. I, I, I talk about it often and it's something that everyone should be 
well aware of. Well aware of. When you, when, to say, well, it's my face and it's my mood and nobody can tell me what I should be doing and I didn't ask you to do it. No, when you're giving that sour expression and you're venting and you're complaining, it's not, both it's not pleasant to be around you and it's affecting people around you. It's not a question. This is the word from Heidegger of Mendel Rimenov, Al-Tirgzi Badurech. Dagger Kala brings it. That Al-Tirgzi Badurech, a person shouldn't come home when he's hungry or tired. He should eat something or lay down before he comes home because when you come home in that mood, it causes conflict. But it's my personal, I'm, I'm tired, I'm not asking. It doesn't work like that. When you're tired and you're hungry and you're down and you're upset and you're aggravated or depressed or whatever it is, it's affecting people around you. And, and that's the idea that, you know, I wrote it in the essay, the old saying that your face is a shisarabim. People say, after smile, it's my face. It's not your face, it's a face that everyone's seeing. And it's affecting everyone, not a question. In general, I think that, a general idea that I think of often when I hear people doing things that I think are silly, you know, if only they would have the chance to hear what somebody's saying about them. The problem is that very often people hear what others say about them in, in, in a time or place or setting that's hurtful. In other words, if you're in a therapy session with your spouse and your spouse is bashing you, it's not helpful for you to hear that your spouse thinks that you're a grump, right? And that's when people get offensive. How dare you say that about me? Or if you by mistake pick up the phone and you hear what somebody's saying about you, you can be offended by it. But sometimes if somebody would just, would just have the opportunity to become aware of, in a way that's not hurtful, what people are really saying, what people really think about them, it would be so helpful for them. Some people don't have that opportunity. If only this, that person would like, you know, be in shield when people are talking about him, or, or be in the park when, when he's being discussed. It might be hurtful, but it could bring sometimes an awareness of, really, that's how people see me? I didn't, I didn't think I was so aggressive. I didn't think I was so difficult. I didn't think I was so challenging. And that's often... So in this case as well, it's hard for somebody to hear that they're, that they're, you know, that they're a complainer and they're not pleasant. But sometimes that's what they have to hear. The problem is that if they hear from a spouse, it's hurtful. So sometimes when I say it in the shir in the class... It's helpful because some people who hear it say, like, you know, I, it, it's probably true. And being that it's not said directly to anyone, it's helpful. So I, I'm definitely um, agreeing to the fact that people who are too kvetchy and too often kvetchy and in general kvetchy, it's affecting people around you. I and mean, even just hearing a question like this and a writer, uh, a letter writer that's saying, you know, it's so unpleasant to be around this person, it's, it's definitely something to think about. Regardless of if a wife should be there more and a husband should be there more and they should be there for each other to let them vent and quetch and, and whatever it is, it's not pleasant. And if you could lower the tone or try to do it in a more uh, you know, sophisticated, professional way that doesn't sound so unpleasant, it's a smart thing to do. Now, with that said, let me address the listener and address the topic that the listener was really uh, commenting on some class that I must have given about this. I, I probably spoke, like I said, when people ask me about questions about classes that I that I said, I don't go back and listen to what I said, I could imagine what I said. I probably said that it's very important to know how to listen and to validate somebody who's scratching to you. I probably said that it, a spouse deserves having someone to listen to them and care for them, and if somebody's bothering them, they have who to unload to at home. Um, they don't have to hire a therapist and stop paying big money for somebody to, to, to listen to them and, and, hear, and hear what's bothering them. It's not a question. Um, aside from the fact that I think everyone deserves that right to have who to talk to and unload to, not on, to, um, I also don't think it's helpful to tell someone, you know, you're such a kvetch, you have such a, such a negative um, um, attitude. You see something, you see everything so cloudy and so um, black. If I thought that would help someone, I would suggest that you say it. But that doesn't help. It doesn't help to tell someone that you're just such a complainer, so stop. It doesn't help. So if it doesn't help, the next best thing is to try to listen and be there for them and give them what they need. And I think that essentially we all have it somewhere. You know, I mean, you say you try to be upbeat and pleasant, and I believe that you do try to be upbeat and pleasant. I'm sure there are times that you 
also get a little down and a little kvetchy and things bother you. And I think you also deserve somebody to listen to you. So it, it doesn't help to tell someone, you know, just stop at all the negativity. If it helped, I would suggest it. I think there are two important points just to, you know, tweak it a little and make it a little easier for both of you. The first thing is that when you're listening to someone, okay, I may have spoken about this then, I don't know. Uh, the first thing is that when you're listening to someone, you have to know how to listen to someone. It's what they call empathetic listening. You say that you sympathize and nod. Again, I don't, I don't mean to catch you on your words, and if you're just nodding robotically and just like, okay, so you're finished yet. I don't know if you do that. I don't, maybe you've been doing this all right, and you, and you just don't have the koyach for it. But very often, when you know how to listen with empathy and show someone, wow, I care, that's all they need. Sometimes they want the validation that they're not getting. They see somebody listening. They see somebody not arguing with them and, and, and telling them how wrong they are for saying something, but they're not necessarily getting something that they're, you know, that, 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 that's meaningful. They want to be heard, not just listened to. You know, there's the... Um, who said this word? I'm trying to remember. Maybe it'll come to me. But there's a word on the pussy that Moshe Baini says, um, Moshe Baini says, when something's hard for you, come to me, Yishmatev. What's Ushmatev? Moshe Bani should have said, well, something's too difficult for you, come to me and I'll, I'll give you guidance, I'll answer your questions, I'll, t- I'll tell you the right way, I'll guide you. He's not saying that. He said, Ushmatev. Moshe Rabbani, the Rabbi Shalisrul, knew that when something's very hard for you, come and I'll listen. I'll listen. You're not just going to be talking, you're not just going to be hearing, you're going to be listened to and very often that's, that's, that's the most of what's really uh, important. So sometimes it's just important to, to think, does my husband feel heard? And it could be he's saying things again and again and again. Again, it, it might not be the case. He might just be saying things again and again because he likes complaining about everything. But sometimes he's complaining about the same things again and again because he didn't feel heard or understood yet. And he's trying to prove his point that this is so difficult, you're not getting it. That's just something to think about. There's the Kedor Oimer joke I like saying about the Malamad who was telling the, who was learning the parsha of the Avramavini last week. You know, the, the four malochim, the five malochim, the kings were fighting, and one of them's name was Kedor Oimer, and he asked the children to repeat, Kedor Oimer. It wasn't easy for little boys. He says, Kardal Oimer. He says, no, Kedor Oimer. He says, Kedor Oimer. He says, no, Kedor Oimer. Kedor Oimer. And he was going on and on until the kid got so frustrated. He said, whatever I say you say is no good. No matter what I say you say, it's no good. You know, what's the Malama thinking? Say it once right, and I'll tell you it's fine. You have to be so. If you say it every time wrong, then I'm going to keep on correcting you, regardless of if it's the right thing to do or not. Um, often when somebody's complaining again and again and again and again, what what, and, and the listener's like, how many times are you going to bring this up? And the complainer's thinking, when are you just going to once say, wow, I understand, that must really be difficult. Say it once. And I'll know that I, I, got, I got my message across. I know somebody heard me, somebody cares that it bothers me. They don't, they don't have to care as much. They just have to. So that's, that's just the first point that might make things a little easier. The second thing that might make things a little easier is along with your sympathizing, empathizing, nodding, and really listening is to be assertive and clarify when would be the best time to discuss it. Now again, I know that sometimes it's 24 hours and there's no discussing it because there's nothing to discuss. I know, I'm just, I'm just mentioning that sometimes you could, you could veer your, your, your complainer to understand when it's easiest for you to discuss certain things or when it's hardest for you to discuss certain things. If you could say something like, I love hearing about your day, and after such a stressful day, it's, I know it's important to share a lot of things that went on. By supper, if it's possible, if we could just you know, talk peacefully about the weather, that's just my way of, of you know, relaxing. And then later, I want to hear everything you have to share. Or when we take a walk, that's when I like talking just about 
you know, I'm talking about the parsha, and not about anything else. It just makes it easier for me. You're able to let someone know that I have no issue listening to you, and I like listening to you, and it's important for me to listen to you, and you deserve to be listened to. Um, and there are times that I just don't appreciate it, and it's okay. Nothing personal. You're not shutting someone up. There's another thing. There's another thing also that that you mentioned about the the kids, and the home, and the a- atmosphere. Sometimes and this is a tricky piece of information that I want to say, but it's relevant to many situations. I'll, I'll start with the example first. Very often people tell me that you know, I have a child who's very sensitive, and 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 my my spouse keeps on putting that child down, not dealing with a child with, with sensitivity. As much as I say you're doing the wrong thing, you know, my wife or my husband just gets so nervous at me. You don't stop criticizing my my parenting or whatever. She's like, my wife is killing my kid. What do I do? So one of the one of the suggestions I give is tell your spouse that they're doing the right thing. Their mode of parenting is the best. If only everyone would do what they do, the world would be a better place. This kid is not taking it. It seems there's kind of something wrong with him. For whatever reason, it's not working. It's not because your, your parenting is no good. It's not because what you're doing is no good. It's not working. It's because this kid has a deficiency. I'm coming to realize that I don't know, he's just not, he's not, he's not, he's not, the dad. He's not adapting, he's not accepting something wrong. I, I think maybe we should do it a different way. It's not about you, it's about the child. Now you have to be careful how you say it and when you say it, etc. You're not looking to turn your kid into the go-between and the problem. But I, I just want to mention it over here as well. Sometimes you can tell a spouse that you know, the kids don't understand that when you're complaining about work, it's not because, A, it's because it's so difficult. They, they have no concept. They don't know what it means to work. Maybe when the kids are around, we should talk about other things and, and I like to listen to you. So again, it has to be applied correctly. I don't need you to explain to me why that's not uh, applicable in your situation. It's just an idea that sometimes you could, you could have people, you could get across your message about when and how you want things to be shared without making someone feeling stupid for sharing them, but slowly adjusting and shifting you know, things to the better time, better place, and just make it easier for everyone. Just an idea. Um, lastly, what I want to point out over here, and this is, it's a big one, because when we, either when we get married and we're so optimistic about life being blissful and finding somebody who's exactly like we are, or in general, when we think that everything's going to be rosy, there's the acceptance that it's hard to accept other people and their faults. If you married somebody who by nature, or for whatever reason, you, you, you think you know the reason, whatever you came up with, you married a kvetchy person. Right? And like you're saying, and like I'm saying, it's not gashmak to be around a kvetchy person. Um, I wish we could all change all the kvetchy people around us. I wish we could all stop kvetching about the kvetchy people around us. But at some point, we have to accept that this person has this deficiency, a thousand other qualities, this thing, it's not gishmak, and, and I accept it. I wonder if when you really accept someone, it makes their, their kvetching level go down. That might also be the case. And they don't feel accepted or heard, like we said before. But it's so important to realize that in general, it's not our... It's not our job to fix someone and to work on their midas and to have that, that, uh, that um, goal or objective of when, when is this going to happen already and I can't wait and this is what should happen. You say, shouldn't he work on the midas? It doesn't matter if he should or shouldn't. So often we get invested on changing something that I don't want to accept. I can't really change, but I can't wait for the other person to change it. And it's, it's, a, it's a wrong perspective. It's not an easy one to get out of. Somebody was telling me an interesting story uh, there was a meeting by a certain Gudelby Thrill at home. They were discussing how to deal with a problem. There was somebody causing problems and how to deal with it best. And this one was suggesting we do it this way, that way. And you know they, they were being um, considerate of the fact that you know we can't. This person is being very difficult, and we have to deal with the situation. 
So there was somebody there who was, who was saying, again, I'm leaving out some details, obviously, but, there was, but somebody was saying something like, I don't understand, this is, we have to, this is how we have to do it, and why do we have to string the chun, why do we have to you know, work around this, or whatever. So the roof said something like, yeah, well, there's no choice. <laughs> this, is what you, this is what we're dealing with, this is what we have to do. So this person said, what do you mean there's no choice? He should learn Mesir Seshurim. That guy should learn Mesir Seshurim, that's the choice. And the person who was telling to me, said he saw how the roof was so unimpressed, and so turned off by the attitude. The fact that that person should learn Mesir Seshurim, aside from the fact that you can't get him to do it, aside from the fact that you don't know how long it will take for him to learn that and apply it, in fact, besides for whatever, it's not, you, 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 didn't, you don't have the right perspective of how to deal with things. He was just unimpressed with the, it was the, it was the, either call it an immaturity or irresponsibility, that that's your, that, that's what you're seeing here? You're seeing that that person should learn miss it, or you're seeing that we have an issue that we want to deal with responsibly? And he saw, it was such a lesson for him to see that, the way that Duruv got sort of turned off by that, by that comment, so that, that's, not, that's not how we should look at people, and that's not how we should look at situations. And I think it's very, uh, you know, it's important. So aside from the fact that it's not your job, it doesn't work. It takes up too much space in your life, waiting for that person to change and do things. You know, so that's, now it's not your job to make your husband happy. It's not your job to make him happy. And sometimes we, we take that responsibility, that codependency, and that's where we get frustrated. I can't make him happy. On the other hand, sometimes you could make him happy, and why not? Either by listening or saying things that will put him in a better mood, even if it's hard for him to be in a good mood. You know, so the, this is all the balance of knowing how to accept someone, try to help them, but not feel responsible and not feel bogged down, and know how to know how to compartmentalize and say, "Listen, this is his issue, not mine. I have a life for myself, and I still want to be there for him. I want him to be there for me, with with my deficiencies, whatever they are, and 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 accept each other and live together." So, just to, to summarize, like I tried doing lately. Um, Point number one was that there's no contradiction. I might tell your husband one thing about his moves, I might tell you something about how to, how to deal with them. And again, this has nothing to do with men and women, obviously. I think it's sometimes more often the other way around, more men are complaining about the women's bad, but it doesn't make a difference. Uh, we did speak about the fact that moods and, and your attitude it definitely affects the people around you. It's important for everyone to hear it and know it and, and try to work on that. It's important to know how to listen and, and really give the person the feeling that you're listening. How to then know how to help that person uh, shift into a better place and time for that quetching when you could deal with it better. And in general, knowing how to accept people and stop trying to change them and stop trying to be resentful of them. I mean, I myself, when we could, you know, not fall into the trap of being the Ein Uder and the Baburach, you know, not, not realizing where someone else is doing everything wrong and I'm doing everything right and my qualities versus his deficiencies and sometimes the other way around. I myself, we could accept each other, love each other, live, live together the right way. Baha'a Vach